for one reason or another, have misconceptions about who God is or inaccurate views of what he is like. And so in order for us to really know him, we need to have those misconceptions or those false views corrected. And the best way to do that, Smith says, is by letting Jesus tell us what's true about those things. Jesus is God in the flesh. So if anybody knows what God is like, Jesus does. And that idea is going to be really important for us today uh, as we think about the topic that we're going to look at here in John 11. Uh, They say there are two inevitable things in life, death and taxes. And unfortunately, this morning, we're not going to talk about taxes. Um, Greg Thompson, I know you're disappointed that we're not going to talk about taxes this morning. Um, So here's the thing. Nobody likes talking about death. Uh, it's just an unnatural thing. We generally avoid it as a topic. But <clears throat> the passage that we're going to look at today, I think, is something that's going to give us hope as we consider this reality that we all face at one point. Uh, and again, knowing what Jesus has to say about these things, I think, can be transformational for us. Uh, this summer, we've been working through the book of John, and as we learned in week one, uh, each episode that John includes in his gospel Uh, contributes to his overall project of helping people believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he's the Messiah, the chosen one, and that in him we might have life in his name. And today's passage is no exception. Uh, That's certainly a part of what what John is trying to accomplish here. But we've also been looking at Jesus' interactions with individuals uh, kind of on the the human level. Uh, We've looked at how Jesus reveals himself to people that they might experience God for who he really is. And that's for sure a part of what we'll do today as well. So with those as reminders, uh, let's jump into our chapter uh, this morning. So John chapter 11, uh, it contains Jesus's sixth of the seven miracles, or I'm sorry, signs that uh, Brett outlined for us a few weeks ago. And if last week's miracle, uh, the healing of the, the man born blind, was something that threatened or upset the, the religious leaders, then this miracle today is the one that pushes them over the edge and makes them want to kill Jesus. <clears throat> so we know something serious is going on. Um, our episode today begins with Jesus and his followers in uh, a town that's about an hour or a day's travel away from Jerusalem to the east. They're on the other side of the Jordan River. And they've retreated there because in the previous chapter, uh, Jesus was almost stoned to death by the religious leaders in Jerusalem because he claimed that he was equal with God. While he's there, Jesus receives word that his friend Lazarus, uh, who lives in the town of Bethany, is sick and he's near death. Uh, In John 11 verse 4, we read, when he, Jesus, heard this, uh, he said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he gathered his disciples and immediately left for Bethany. Oh, wait a minute. That probably isn't what you see on the screen. Uh, That's not what the passage says. Uh, It says when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. Now, does that seem odd to you? Like, if you're paying attention, your what's going on meter should be flashing right now. Um, If Jesus loved Lazarus and his sisters the way the passage says he does, then it would seem like when he hears that he's sick and near death that he would want to go be with him. 
And if that's confusing to you, that's okay. I believe it was confusing to his disciples as well. They were probably scratching their heads wondering what's going on. But Jesus does give us a clue that maybe there's more happening here than just what we or his followers would understand. Uh, He says that the sickness won't end in death, but it will result in God's Son being glorified. So, like many of the accounts of Jesus' miracles in the New Testament, uh, the miracle itself is often much less important than what the miracle tells us about who Jesus is, okay? And that's going to be the case again in our passage this morning. It might seem a little confusing now, but it does make sense in the end. All right, so after the two days of waiting, Jesus finally suggests to his followers, let's go visit Martha and Mary. And the disciples are not super excited about this idea. Uh, In verse uh, 8, we read, but Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? So the disciples knew that Bethany was only two miles away from Jerusalem, which is where Jesus was almost killed in the previous chapter. And they're trying to argue with Jesus about the wisdom of going to a place that their lives might be in danger. Well, in verse 11, Jesus says to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. And then in the next verse, his disciples reply, Well, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Now, clearly the disciples didn't understand what Jesus was getting at here. Uh, Verse 13 lets us know that Jesus was using figurative language uh, and that by saying that he was asleep, he meant that Lazarus was dead. Uh, So Jesus tells them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Okay, so at this point, uh, I'm starting to feel for the disciples because I I sense their confusion level rising. Uh, He said that this whole incident wouldn't end in death, but now he's just told them that Lazarus is dead, and so what's up with that? Uh, I thought this was going to be, it was going to end well. Uh, So confused as they are, uh, Jesus gives us another clue as to the fact that something else is going on here. Uh, He says it's for the sake of his disciples that he was glad that he wasn't there. So whatever it is that's going to happen later in the story, has to be for the sake of the disciples, Uh, and I'm pretty sure it's because he wants them to believe. All right, so as confused as they are, despite their fear that their lives might be in danger, the disciples agree to go with Jesus to Bethany. And in verse 17, we read this, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Okay, so the timing here is significant uh, because of some beliefs that were common in the ancient world. Uh, There's evidence that tells us that both ancient Jews and practices, people who practiced other ancient religions, uh, had some views about what happened right after death that might be in play here. Uh, One view was that when someone died, the spirit or the soul sort of hovered around the body for three days, hoping that maybe it would get the chance to to rejoin back up with the body and, and come alive again. But on day four, the spirit would depart. Uh, The other view says that uh, the first three days of the mourning period were the most important because that was the period in which the person who had died could hear he was present, he or she was present, to hear the mourning or the the grief of his loved ones and family members. And so, again, though, only for three days. And so on day four, that option was over. So for Jesus to show up here and know, know that Lazarus had been in the grave for four days, culturally, 
that was John's way of letting us know that, that Lazarus was really dead at this point, okay? He, he wasn't mostly dead. Uh, he, was, he was dead, dead. Um, and I, that sounds odd to us, uh, for sure. It's a, it's a cultural thing. But it's important to the original readers because it means that what Jesus is going to do later is way more powerful than we would imagine it to be for us. Okay, so uh, before Jesus can reach the home of Lazarus' sisters, uh, Martha hears that Jesus is coming and she runs out to meet him. Uh, In verse 20 we read, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Uh, Now from what we know about other descriptions of the two sisters from different passages, this makes sense. Martha is typically the action-oriented one, and so it's not surprising that she's the one that gets up first and runs out to meet Jesus. But I want you to hear her first words when she meets him. Uh, Verse 21 reads, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I'm guessing there's a lot of emotion for Martha packed in that statement. Uh, On the one hand, incredible disappointment. It almost sounds like she's blaming Jesus for the death of her brother. But on the other hand, there's evidence that she knows that Jesus is more than just an average person because she believes that had he been there earlier, he could have healed him and kept him from dying. And even now, just Jesus' presence with her, I believe, gives her hope. Uh, We see this in the second half of her response where she says, but I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. In verse 23, Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. And in the next verse, Martha answers, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. All right, so here we have our first piece of good news in this passage. There will be a resurrection. Jesus lets us know that. Uh, Now, Martha assumes when Jesus talks about Lazarus rising, uh, that Jesus is referring to the resurrection that most Jews were looking forward to. Uh, It's normally called the general resurrection, and it's the idea that at the end of history, uh, the Messiah will return to establish his kingdom forever, and when he does, the dead will be raised. So it's possible that Martha at this point just hears Jesus saying what maybe any good Jew would say to comfort someone who is in loss. But if Jesus meant more than that, and I'm pretty sure he did in light of what happens later on in the passage, the fact that he doesn't correct Martha in her view means that he affirms the reality of a resurrection someday. And that is good news for us because it means that death is not the end of the story. Okay? Um, this is important, I think, because as Christians, often when we talk about life after death, uh, we talk about going to heaven, and there's a, there's a piece of that that's act completely true, um, but I think most of the time when we talk about that, people have this really sort of nebulous idea of what that might be like. Uh, maybe we have a vision of being sort of a disembodied spirit that's floating around the universe with Jesus for the rest of eternity. But there's more to it, um, and that's the good news that Jesus is giving us here. Um, More than just being with God, which is true, uh, we're going to actually have a new resurrection body. Uh, Real quick, in Luke 23, on the day of his execution, Jesus is hanging 
on a cross, and next to him are two other crosses with two other criminals. And he has a conversation with one of the men, and one of them uh, clearly has realized that Jesus is more than a man. And so he realizes his need for Jesus, and he says, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, will you remember me? And Jesus says to him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. So there is this true reality of the moment that a follower of Jesus dies, they are in the immediate presence of God. But there's more to the story, and I think this is the part that's often overlooked. Uh, in First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18, and we don't have time to go there, but let me summarize. Uh, the Apostle Paul tells us that those who have died as followers of Jesus will be raised at Christ's return, and their souls will be reunited with a resurrection body, a new physical body. Okay, the soul and the body will be reunited, so there will be a physical component to our eternal experience. On top of that, uh, in the last book of the Bible, John, the author of the gospel that we're looking at, <clears throat> gives us more detail. Um, and I think the passage is going to be on the screen, but I'm going to summarize for you guys. Uh, in the vision that he receives from Jesus, he sees a new heaven and a new earth that God creates for eternity. So, so this idea of resurrection is going to include our souls being reunited with a resurrected body and we will live as followers of Jesus on a physical new heaven and a new earth for eternity. And I think this is incredibly great news because what it means is that our eternal experience is going to be way more like our present experience than we normally think. It's not going to be nearly as unfamiliar as we think. Now there's all going to be all the bonuses of no sin and no death and no tears and no sorrow. Uh, and I think we're going to learn for all eternity. But there is a physical component. And so resurrection is an incredibly important part of what Jesus is getting at here. Uh, and it's good news for us because it means that we won't just have to float around like a ghost for eternity. But we'll be able to be with Jesus and others in a physical new heaven and new earth. Okay. So if that's not good enough news, uh, real quick, Jesus hits us with the next bit of good news. Uh, in verse 25, Jesus says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even though they die, <clears throat> uh, will live. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, Martha replied. I believe that you're the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Okay, so now, not only is resurrection a reality that Jesus has affirmed, but he tells us that he himself is the source of resurrection life. Uh, John does a great job of uh, capturing Jesus' humanity, but he also often talks about the reality that Jesus is God. Uh, in chapter 1 of this gospel, uh, we read this. It's a passage where he's talking about Jesus, and he refers to Jesus as the Word. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. Here's the important bit. In him, Jesus was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. It shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So again, Jesus, or John, our author, is capturing the reality here that Jesus is more than just an amazing man, but he's God in the flesh. Jesus 
has life in himself. He doesn't get life from somewhere else like we do. He is life, and he offers life to others. So this is great news for us. Uh, Martha, as she's dealing with the loss of her brother, unknowingly is standing face to face with the one and only life giver himself. Okay. <clears throat> so as we trust Jesus, he's able to give his life to us, both now in this life, a new kind of life, but also an eternity, an eternal kind of life. Uh, and Jesus proves that he has life in himself by what happens later in the episode. And this is one of those moments where if you're not familiar with the passage, spoiler alert, uh, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Let's jump ahead to verse 38 here. Uh, it says, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he's been born, been dead for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. His hands and feet were wrapped in strips of linen and cloth was around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come from Jerusalem to visit Mary and Martha had seen what Jesus did and believed in him. Almost everyone involved that day, the disciples, the sisters, even the Jews who had come to comfort Mary and Martha, they all wondered at one point, why didn't Jesus show up earlier and heal him and prevent him from dying in the first place? None of them had resurrection on their list of options or possibilities for the day. It wasn't a category that they were thinking in. But in order that they might believe, Jesus shows that he alone has power over death. Uh, when you think about power rankings, and we know all about power rankings in Nebraska, right? <clears throat> when you think about power rankings, Jesus is always at the top of the list. Every season doesn't change. It's worse than Alabama, right? <clears throat> Every season, it does not change. And death is always lower on the list. And that order never changes. Jesus always has power over death. And that is because he has good news. He has life in himself, and that's good news for us. Okay, so real quick, you notice that I skipped over a section, and I want to go back to that because there's one more piece of good news in this passage. And on the human level, this might be my favorite one. <clears throat> uh, so after speaking with Martha, Jesus asked her to send her sister Mary out to see him because he wants to talk to her too. So Mary comes out to see him. What's interesting is that her first words to Jesus are almost identical to her sister's. Verse 32 reads, When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Again, you hear the disappointment and the loss in Mary's statement. And this time, those words move Jesus emotionally as well. Uh, 
verse 33, it says, When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Now, this is one of those few times where uh, a phrase in the original language that the New Testament was written in, which is ancient Greek, uh, actually gives us a little bit more of what's going on than our English translation does. The phrase that's used uh, where, he said, where it says he was deeply troubled in his spirit, uh, it's one word in Greek. I'm not going to pronounce it for you because you won't remember it anyway. Um, but it literally means to snort like a horse. <clears throat> right. It was in... It was an idiom, uh, and it generally was used to communicate anger in ancient Greek literature. So it raises the question at this point, what in the world is Jesus angry at? He probably, you know, you could think maybe he's angry at the sisters, but that doesn't make any sense. Uh, every other piece of information from the passage tells us that when he looks at the sisters and the Jews who were mourning with them, that he had real compassion on them. Uh, in their moment of grief. So, so that doesn't make any sense. Uh, it's possible that he was angry at the disciples because they hadn't believed in what he was going to do. But again, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense either because he still hasn't done the miracle yet that he is intending to do that will get them to believe. So, so that doesn't make any sense. So what was he angry at? Well, all the best commentators that, that I've read uh, say that they think that Jesus was angry at death itself. And I think this makes a ton of sense here. Um, death was not supposed to be part of God's original design for creation. Uh, human beings were designed to live forever in relationship with one another, in relationship with God. And death only entered the world when human beings sinned against God and tried to do life apart from Him. That's why it seems foreign and odd to us uh, when death happens. So when, when Jesus sees the effect that death has had on his friends and the community at the loss of their brother Lazarus, he gets angry. He's angry that death still has power in this world. And you guys, Jesus' anger at death is good news for us because it means he gets it. didn't expect that I would be moved by this, but part of my story. Um, when we are in a season of where we experience loss uh, when someone near us dies, I think often uh, our world would tell us that God is fairly indifferent to our suffering uh, or our losses, but this passage makes it clear that that's not the case at all. That Jesus hates when people die every bit as much as we do. And he understands, and he's with us in our moments of grief and loss. And guys, that is good news. That is good news for us. <clears throat> it's also great because the miracle that he performs proves that Jesus is going to do something about this whole idea that death has power in the world someday, once and for all. Uh, his resurrection defeats death forever. And that is good news for us. All right, so let me, let me recap real quick. Um, we've been covered a lot of territory this morning. So death and loss obviously are things <clears throat> that we generally don't look to experience in life. Um, no one wants to have to face those things. But this passage gives us hope 
in the face of those things. First, because there will be a resurrection. Death is not the end of the story. Uh, <clears throat> the Apostle Paul says to the Thessalonian church that because the resurrection is real, we don't have to mourn the way that people who don't have hope do. Uh, we will mourn the loss of loved ones, but we can do so knowing that one day, as followers of Jesus, they will be raised to live with Jesus eternally. Uh, secondly, we have hope because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He conquered death, and so as we trust in him, he can give us life both now uh, to experience a new kind of life and eternity to experience eternal life. And then lastly, we have hope because Jesus is with us in our moments of grief and loss. He knows how we feel, and we can take comfort in the fact that he understands and he sympathizes with us. So the question for us is the same question, I think, that Jesus asked Martha, which was, do you believe this? If we're going to be people of hope, who take hope to others, then we need to believe what Jesus tells us about these things and not let what the world says is true about these things shape how we live. We've got to adopt Jesus's view on these things. There's a couple ways you can do that practically. Uh, one is you can memorize the words of Jesus. So there's a part of the passage that we read this morning that sticks out to you and it gives you hope. I want to encourage you to write it down on a note card or type it in your phone or put it somewhere in a reminder where you'll see it this week often. And I want you to memorize that so you can keep the words of Jesus in your heart and mind and live according to those rather than what the world says. Uh, and then secondly, uh, I want you to invite you to, to engage with our Bible reading plan this week. Uh, you'll find it on our website later this afternoon uh, at our Sunday Extras page. Uh, <clears throat> but it's about this passage and what, what Jesus has to say about resurrection life. Uh, so those are two great ways to, <clears throat> to connect uh, and continue thinking about these things. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you have life in and of yourself, and you have power over death, and because of that, death is not the end of the story. God, I pray uh, that you help us as we trust in you to experience resurrection life in our lives now, but also hope that on the other side of this life, there's something wonderful waiting, and it involves you being with us in a real place forever for eternity. And God, I pray for uh, anyone who has joined us here this morning, whether in person or online, who has not gotten to a place yet where they've put their trust in Jesus as the one who can allow them to experience relationship with God. Father, I pray that they would trust in him this morning, uh, that they might experience resurrection life as well. God, thanks for being you, and thanks for our time this morning. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thanks, y'all.